0: Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Father Andrew Mattingly. I am a Catholic priest in Kansas City, Missouri, and this is a podcast where I post homilies and random other stuff that I might teach or speak about. Hope you find something useful and maybe even inspiring. God bless you. For those of you who uh, were not here last week, I decided um, since we will be going uh, through John chapter 6 for six Sundays in a row, um, starting last Sunday and ending the last Sunday of August, um, I figured it would be a good opportunity to do sort of a catechesis on some aspect of the Eucharist. John 6, if you're not familiar, is where we have the most substantial teaching of Jesus on the Eucharist during his public ministry what's known as the bread of life discourse. Um, And so I thought in a particular way, because there are lots of conversations surrounding different aspects of Holy Communion in the wider church, that it'd be good to touch on a number of different things relating specifically to the act of receiving Holy Communion. Obviously when we talk about the Eucharist, we could talk about the Eucharistic sacrifice, the Mass. We could talk about the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And then there's this third sort of aspect that we could talk about, which is which is Christ as our food in the Holy Eucharist, so Holy Communion. Um, so last week, if you weren't here, I just touched on a few things that we can do to sort of stir up our love and devotion for Jesus in this greatest sacrament, so that when we come to receive Him in Holy Communion, that it's as fruitful as it possibly can be. Um, and today... I want to touch on the the concepts of uh, worthy and unworthy reception of Holy Communion. Um, The phrases that we often uh, often hear thrown around, um, but it's good to kind of review them. And then after kind of touching on that a little bit, I want to talk about um, the circumstances that would require a priest to deny someone Holy Communion at Mass. Um, that certainly is a hot topic in the church, particularly as it relates to our president, but also to many other figures. And so it's important to understand what what circumstances would require that to happen, because it's a bit more nuanced than, than most people um, realize. Um, but first, just worthy and unworthy reception of Holy Communion. So many of you hopefully will recall this from your your days of basic catechesis, but Um, To receive Jesus in Holy Communion worthily means very simply that we just have to be in a state of grace when we receive Him. We we cannot be conscious or aware of any unconfessed mortal sin when we come to receive Him in Holy Communion. Um, If we are conscious or aware of some unconfessed mortal sin, we cannot receive Holy Communion. And if we do, It's what we would call an unworthy Holy Communion, and we would commit an additional mortal sin of sacrilege, which by definition is treating something holy in a profane way, right? We want to definitely avoid that um, at all costs. And I'll read you uh, the passage from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians where he describes this very principle in practice that's been present from the earliest days of the church, this isn't something that the church just sort of made up at some point in her history. It's due to our the church's understanding of, of the Eucharist from the earliest days. This has always been um, practice. So this is First Corinthians 11, um, and I'm going to skip ahead specifically to the part Saint Paul is talking about. It's a very important passage. He's talking about. How Jesus commanded the Apostles at the Last Supper to continue that celebration. In other words, to celebrate Mass down through the ages. And then he talks specifically about receiving communion. So so St. Paul says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Let a man examine himself, etc. So, it's been present um, from the earliest days of the church, this understanding that if the Eucharist is God, that that we need to be, be fr- like, we can't be aware of some mortal offense against the Lord when we come to receive Him. Um, and somebody may ask the question, well, why is that the case? Isn't He a God of mercy and love? Like, why would we need to be free of, of mortal sin to receive Him in communion? And and maybe the best way to understand why this is the case is to give um, somewhat of a, a dramatic analogy. Um, and, and hopefully this, this helps you to kind of grasp sort of the gravity involved in in these sort of circumstances. So imagine, for example, a husband and wife, and let's say one of them on a particular afternoon just sort of really loses their their cool entirely in a conversation with their spouse and really begins to kind of attack them in in a really vile way, just cruel words, insults, mockery, you know, you name it. Um, and they sort of go off and go their separate ways. Um, So they've committed this this grave offense against their spouse. And then let's say a few hours after that, this same spouse who's committed this grave offense goes to their spouse and requests the marital act, right? Without any effort whatsoever to acknowledge what they had done a few hours prior, no, no no, effort to apologize, no effort to seek forgiveness, no mention of an amendment of life that I'm not going to do that again, right? And, and they make this request of the deepest intimacy possible within married life. We would all sort of look at that and say, that's, that's very twisted, right? There's, there's, there's something very, very wrong here. And this is a good analogy no analogy is perfect, but this is a good analogy for what we do if we sin grievously against Jesus and then we come to Him in Holy Communion, which is the deepest intimacy we can possibly have with God on earth, without first going to Him in confession and saying, Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> I am sorry that I, that I crucified You again, right? that, I, that, I, that I hurt You in this, in this deep way. I'm sorry I did that. I ask your forgiveness and I, I promise to not do that again. Like that's my intention. That's my resolve. Right? That has to happen first. If we are to go to Him in Holy Communion and, and literally again, in sort of an analogous way to marriage, intertwine ourselves with God, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Right? So hopefully this this helps a little bit to give us, a certain framework for why this is so important. right? Why why it's so important and why from the earliest days of the church, the church has taught that when we receive our Lord in Holy Communion, we we need to be free of of mortal sin. Um, Very important. Uh, A couple observations that I want to offer to you about this before going on to the the second thing. Um, One observation is that What I've noticed kind of over the past six years of being a priest, um, if somebody, for example, comes to confession and they say, and they confess having received communion unworthily, if I happen to ask them about, okay, well, what was your motive there? Like, why did that happen and so on? Almost always, um, if they're a a faithful Catholic, they're really trying to, to love the Lord. Almost always the reason that they received communion unworthily was a fear of what other people would think of them if they didn't receive. So is it was, it was a motive of, of vanity, right? Vanity, by definition, is being more concerned with what someone else thinks of me than with what God thinks of me, right? And so most often that's the motive. So I was afraid what, what this person or that person would think if I didn't receive Holy Communion, that they might start to conjecture about what my sin is or something or or whatever right and we need to if if that temptation arises if we're in a state of mortal sin we need to definitely cast that aside that's not from the lord we don't need to be worrying about what other people think of us right and we for our part also if we see someone not receive communion there could be a million reasons under the sun why they're not receiving communion Maybe in order to stir up their own devotion for the Lord in the Eucharist, they've decided that for a while, I'm only going to receive once a month, right? So that I, I, I feel like it's become a bit commonplace for me. So I, I'm, I'm going to decide I'm only going to receive once a month. And so then that could be the reason why we see them not receive. It could be that they're in a state of mortal sin. It could be that they've already been to Mass that day and received communion and they don't want to receive again. It could be a, a, a million, it could be... They've been so distracted during Mass that they just don't feel like their heart is disposed to receive Communion at that time. Some of your parents may feel that way sometimes, right? There could be so many reasons that, that somebody chooses to not receive Communion at Mass. And so for our part, we need to make sure that we don't jump to conclusions if we do see someone not receive. It's not our, it's not our business, really, but if you yourself have that thought process going through your mind. If, if you're in a state of mortal sin, you're, oh, like, if I don't receive, this person might think this or that or whatever. You gotta, you gotta cut off that thought process and cast it out because it's, it's not from the Lord, right? We, we have to, we have to have first and foremost the concern of, of pleasing God, right? A, above, above all things. Um, the other just little observation um, I would make is that if someone Uh, repeatedly over time receives communion unworthily it will do severe damage to their faith in a particular way it will damage other things too but particularly their faith Um, I'll give you a story to illustrate this some of you maybe have heard this before but Voltaire who was an Enlightenment a French Enlightenment philosopher in the 18th century um, he's brilliant but he was also a great enemy of the church he wasn't just sort of, a, sort of a laissez-faire atheist, he was a very aggressive man who wanted to do everything he could to bring down the church and religion and, and so on. And there was a young guy, maybe in his late teens or early 20s, who had, who had started reading some of Voltaire and he'd been caught up in his ideas and he wanted to leave the church of his childhood and, and become an atheist. But the problem was he couldn't, he couldn't shake his faith in the eucharist try as he might he just couldn't get over this attraction this strong attraction that he still felt towards towards the holy eucharist and so he wrote a letter to voltaire and he said what advice can you give me i want to leave the church curse god etc like i don't i don't want this anymore but i can't shake this faith in the eucharist you know what, what should i do yeah very twisted Uh, sad tragic situation but Voltaire wrote back to him and he said he said you know contrary to what you might be thinking don't stay away from the church what I want you to do instead is to go to mass as much as possible even multiple times a day receive communion at every mass and then go out and commit as many mortal sins as you can and just keep doing that day after day after day and he told this guy I guarantee you in a few months you won't have any, any more faith in the Eucharist, you won't have an issue leaving the church and, and, and so on. And so tragically this this young guy did exactly that and his his faith was destroyed within a few months. Right? So so it, it does significant damage to our faith if repeatedly we, we receive Holy Communion in, in a state of mortal sin. Um, that's another, another very important thing that, that we need to, to realize. Um, moving on to this other aspect that's sort of a hot topic in the church. When is it obligatory? Because there are certain circumstances where a priest is actually obliged. Um, it's not just sort of an option that he has. When is it obligatory for a priest to deny Holy Communion to someone? Um, and I'll just read you this specific canon in canon law that that describes when those circumstances are, are, are present it's very concise it says those who obstinately persist in manifest grave sin are not to be admitted to holy communion those who obstinately persist in manifest grave sin or not to be admitted to Holy Community. So you can break those down because every word is important there. So somebody has to be committing repeatedly a grave sin of some kind they have to obstinately persist in that sin. In other words, they have to be unrepentant right? They have no desire to stop committing this sin which again is very different from someone who is maybe trapped in some kind of addictive cycle of sin, wants to be free of it, but continues to fall. This is describing somebody who's continually committing a grave sin and has no intention of stopping. They don't want to stop. They're fine with their sin. A very different situation. So a grave sin, they're obstinately persisting in it. And this is the critical one. It's manifest in other words it's widely known by the public it's it's a it's a sin of public nature it's not something that's committed in private that's 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 the critical one to remember so we can just use these well actually before i give you a couple of quick examples um, and the reason again we might ask like why is this a why is this a thing in the church and the reason is because of the risk of scandal because of if we had someone, for example, in the parish here who fit into all, all three of these, they sort of checked all three of these boxes, and all of you were to see them come up and receive communion Sunday after Sunday, it would be scandalous to all of you because you would see that and say, well, if, if so-and-so can just do this gravely sinful thing for which they have zero repentance or intention to change, and we all know about it, and still they're coming to communion every Sunday, well, like, what does it matter kind of thing? You know, like, why is that? Why is that okay? It would damage your faith. So this is why the church obliges priests in those rare circumstances to deny someone communion, so that the the faith of everyone else is preserved, strong and, and intact. That's the reason for for this particular obligation. Again, there's a reason for everything in the church. But just to give you a couple quick examples, um, the first one, again. Just take our president. This is sort of a, has been a topic of conversation for many years, even before he became president. He's raised Catholic, practices the faith to some degree or another, um, and the topic of you know whether he should be denied communion when he goes to mass comes up a lot. And we can just go through these three requirements and see if it sort of fits the bill, right? So, so is he committing some grave sin consistently over time? And the one that's often cited is the fact of his public uh, political support for abortion right that he's cast his vote however many hundreds of times over his political career in support of this great evil right so he checks that box obstinate persistence without any intention to change that's very much a box that's checked again 30 40 years or something like that it shown no indication even slightly that he wants to stop sort of casting votes for this grave evil. So he checks that box. And then the last one, is it manifest? Certainly it's manifest. Everyone knows about it. The whole nation knows about it, even internationally. (laughs) It's about as manifest as as you can get, right? So his case is actually a pretty simple one. So if he were to, if the president were to come to mass here at your council, Father Johnson or I or Deacon Ralph would be obliged to deny him communion because it would would damage the faith of everyone else. And some people often will throw out, well, they'll say, well, what if, what if he had a real conversion of heart and just like 10 minutes before Mass made a really, made a good confession? Well, what about that? And you have no idea if he did that. The problem is that with that is, well, and I hope, I hope that would happen one day. <laughs> the, the problem with that is that he would still have to be denied communion until he publicly, stated that I've changed my ways because until that happens the scandal is still present right nobody knows that he's gone to confession so they're still going to be scandalized if they see him receive communion so so, so that's an important thing again it's the public nature of something in this realm it, that's really what requires the, the denial of, of Holy Communion to someone um, and then just maybe uh, really quickly one other example of what this might look like another example of when somebody might need to be denied communion and this one is a bit more touchy and is going to be more sensitive because more people have had an experience in this realm but somebody who's been uh, divorced and then remarried outside of the church so so they're living in, in a circumstance in which they are uh, claiming to be married to someone while the presumption is that their first marriage was, was legitimate, right? So, in other words, they're living in, a, in an adulterous situation. Um, and so, we can go through these sort of three boxes. Are they, are they in grave sin? Um, the answer is yes, right? They're, they're living consistently in, a, in a, a relationship, an intimate relationship with somebody who's not their spouse, right? So it's 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 grave. Um, is there obstinate persistence? Well, that depends. If if a pastor or other people in the parish have sat down with them several times and, and said, "Are you like here's your situation? Are you willing to separate and break off this relationship?" and they've and they've been given those opportunities and they still over time have refused, then it would be obstinate persistence. Um, and then, is it manifest? Well, if If people in a particular parish come to know that this individual is now married outside the church and living in in an adulterous relationship, if it becomes known in the parish then it would be manifest. So then if all three of those things were present and that individual presented himself for Holy Communion, the the priest would actually be again obliged to, to deny that communion. So just to give you another example. We could go through many, many, many other examples, but the important thing um, for you to know as you process different media and and so on, is that when it comes to denying someone communion, you can kind of run it through that filter of those three things to see if what's being talked about is actually in line with what what the church teaches on on this topic. Uh, So kind of some heavy stuff, but these are are important things to know um, so that we can have informed and accurate conversations with people about them. And, and also, above all, to just remind us of the sort of wonder and awe that we should have in, in the presence of the Holy Eucharist. God in the flesh, the greatest gift we'll ever have. And we should never take him for granted and that, that we should really dispose our hearts as best as possible um, when we come to, to receive him.